When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome back to Pod on the Time, the Athletics Newcastle United podcast. I'm Taylor Payne and joining me to inject a little bit of sunshine into this rainy Monday are Chris Woff and George Cock. And how the devil are you, Chris Woff? I'm doing all right at the moment, thank you. It's been a bit of a difficult weekend and a difficult few days. I've had illness in my household uh, and so I actually... It was a real struggle to watch the game on Saturday, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, it wasn't the easiest watch for long periods as it was, but I was also lying in bed with absolutely no energy whatsoever yeah. with it on the tablet. So yes, it's been a bit of a difficult weekend, but I am on the mend, hopefully, and hopefully the rest of my family are as well. How are you? Yes, fingers crossed. I'm all right. Yeah, I'm not too bad. I'm all right. It's it's a bit of a miserable day, but I'm not feeling too bad. I'm feeling in a pretty good mood. I'm quite chipper today, I have to be honest. Uh, how are you, George Colgan? You all right? Well, I would like to... Um Pass on my best regards to Chris and uh, wish only health and happiness for his and and his nearest. I would. I think there is a certain follow up question that that needs to be asked though, and that is, what does this mean for Villa Park on on uh, on Tuesday night, Chris? Well, Villa Park is south of the River Tyne, so therefore um, that means that I will obviously not be going. Oh, and here comes Muggins. Yeah. Here comes Muggins for an eight fifteen kickoff on a Tuesday night. Yeah, just for an eight fifteen kickoff that he was not expecting to do. Here comes Muggins. As I said, I wish nothing but good health and good cheer for you and your nearest family members, Chris. I I, I say that only with the fondest love, deep, deep, deep in my heart. Wow, nothing has ever been more genuine, has it? Isn't that what he's no, that's there? it. <laughs> <laughs> that was very sincere, that wasn't it? Very thank you, sincere. thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm all right. Apart from that, yeah, Good. I was at uh, I was at Fulham at the weekend, uh, of course, and um, yeah, Newcastle are in the fifth round of the FA sure, Cup, yeah. so this should really be a national holiday. It, it? Yeah, normally I take the sixth round week, and I normally book that off. I normally go away, do something nice with the family. Can't do that this time. It's unbelievable. It's only the second time in 18 years Newcastle have reached the fifth round of the FA Cup. So here That's we are. Appalling. Uncharted waters. I think it's the first time they've beaten a Premier League side away from home in, the, in this competition since 1999 as well. And also it's the first time Eddie Howe's ever beaten a Premier League side in the FA Cup. So, <laughs> My God, that is ridiculous. Come on you Maggies. So, to Saturday night at Craven Cottage, the FA Cup fifth round, and a place in the last 16 up for grabs. There were essentially two Newcastles on shore, weren't there, Chris? Solid at the back, well-organised and compact, but a bit profligate with the ball. Yes, the first half was, was I thought, it was a difficult watch in terms of Newcastle were good defensively, really. They, I thought it was similar to, in, in many ways, Chelsea away in the Carabao Cup that although Fulham had a fair bit of the ball and a fair bit of territory there was only a couple of sort of chances that they had for the most part Newcastle were fairly in control out of possession 
but with the ball they were they were extremely poor and that is a frustration I think which is and it's part of the reason why it just compounds the issues they've had away from home and I think that's why they are struggling so much on the road in in the Premier League because they aren't controlling when they actually get the ball they don't do enough with it and eventually pressure will tell if you can't keep hold of it but I, th- I thought yeah they were a bit slow getting out the blocks but Fulham had made seven changes and you could sort of see that in some of their interplay they had a lot of the ball but then the final pass was maybe lacking uh, and I, I, as I say all of my analysis of this game is based on me watching it fairly drowsy in bed on Saturday night so people may massively disagree with me but it was a struggle that first half I thought. I was in the away end I mean I was in the press area before the match and after the match I was in the away end and I was the same as you Chris I thought it was a really poor first half in lots of ways just at the moment I swaggered onto social media to give my opinion from on high I did that, and then, of course, Newcastle scored, so you're very, very welcome for that. There were two Newcastles, but there were also, you know, it was all, I mean, not quite a game of two halves, but Newcastle got better, I think, or certainly exerted more control as the game went on, and that, I think, is very, very important because it's just something they've not been able to do, and they've not been able to do it because they've not had the personnel to change matches. They visibly wilted as games have kind of gone on. They did look tired by the end of this one again, but... I mean, I think there was that realisation that Fulham were almost doing their work for them, that they could allow Fulham to have the ball and they weren't going to do anything with it. Chris used the word control there, and I think certainly at the back that was that was true, but going forward they were they were awful at the start. They just couldn't get out of their own half and the ball just wouldn't stick to them. It was very frustrating. But yeah, thankfully, thankfully they got better. Yes, they did. I mean, it was a return of last season's back four as well, wasn't it, Chris? But with, uh, obviously, Martin Dubravka behind him, they, they performed well, and Dubravka made a couple of decent saves. That one low down to his right was particularly good. But the back four was solid, weren't they? Yeah, that was the Muniz shot, which he saw pretty late on, but uh, it wasn't travelling any great pace, but it was towards the bottom corner. He managed to get across and, and stick out an arm and, and put it behind for a corner. I thought that they did perform well and that they, they looked very solid. I thought Byrne in the first half maybe gave the ball away a few times, but then in the second half I thought he, he was excellent and really grew into it. Sven Botman, his ability to use the, use the ball probably wasn't quite what it was, and that was again part of the issue in possession, is that you'd expect Botman to be so good in it, but actually Newcastle's defence and midfield kept giving it away. But out of possession, Botman made a lot of recovery challenges. I thought he covered in well behind. I thought the communication was good. But I still think that there is, I mean, it's huge that they managed to, to keep a clean sheet, particularly with, with the back four that they have, who Eddie Howe firmly believes in. And you can see from last season and earlier this season, when Newcastle get on a run defensively, they can go long periods, certainly at St. James's Park, without conceding. But I, th- I still think that there is a stylistic issue with Dubravka in goal and that's not having a go I thought he performed very well but I still think there is a little bit of a disconnect between him and the defence and the defence almost have to drop a little bit deeper than they do when they've got Nick Pope behind them and that forces Newcastle a little bit deeper not to the extent that maybe they have done in recent away games but I still think that that is a little bit of an issue and it means that there are still gaps between the forward line and and maybe the back six in periods of time and so yes it was was very encouraging the fact they they got a clean sheet away at Fulham who had really put the Frighteners up Liverpool the midweek before and have a pretty good home record this season uh, I think that, that that can only be seen as a positive really and hopefully they're growing confidence from that As we've already mentioned as well there was some concerns about keeping and progressing the ball Bruno didn't look happy with his performance now I love the bones of that lad and he's undoubtedly one of our most important players but there's times when I just want him to play the ball simply 
keep a hold of it. And now I'm all for players taking risks and, and playing risky passes because sometimes that's what you need. And, and he is like that. He will do that. But sometimes a needless outside of the foot pass is it, it's just not required. And I, I would like him to try and think a little bit more carefully about those type of balls. There was one when he could have put Jacob Murphy in down the right hand side and it would have it would have set us on our way and he just didn't do it. He's like a man in the casino chasing bad bets when he's yeah. having a difficult game. In, instead of sort of taking a step back and keeping it simple, he tries to overcomplicate things. He like doubles down on it. Part of it, I think it it is a it's a sort of admirable quality in some ways that he wants to force things to happen. But you can just see those games when he, he tries too hard. He's trying too hard. It's like not going for him, so he tries harder and harder and harder. And instead of sort of, absolutely, you're absolutely right, instead of sort of putting his foot on the ball, laying it off, doing something simple, just keeping possession for a little bit, he elaborates. It's difficult to be angry of with course, him because, yeah, as I absolutely. say, it, it, it yep. comes from a good place. He's trying his best to take a grip with the game. And sometimes, of course, like this one, the game just generally isn't going Newcastle's way in terms of having the ball. So he sees it a bit less, and then when he gets it, he wants to do something sort of uh, spectacular with it. And, I mean, just to go back to Chris's point, I totally agree about that with Dubravka. We've mentioned it before, but, you know, in a game where you're being pushed back, He's a good keeper to have in the sense he's going to make lots of saves. He'll keep you in the game. We know he's a good shop stopper, but he's not going to alleviate pressure on the team because he just won't come for the ball. So none of that sort of helped. But I love Bruno too. And, um, you know, long may he long may he reign over us. What the fuck am I talking about? King Bruno. All hail King Bruno. You know, sometimes you just you you start a sentence and it's like it was a bit All like Bruno on the ball. It was like there was there was just no way yeah. out of that sentence for me without either just saying yeah. something really stupid or just stopping. I should have just stopped. You've tried to play that sentence with the outside of your foot and you've just shanked it straight to the fullback, haven't you? <laughs> I've over-elaborated, yeah, and now I'm being hit on the break. King Bruno, what the fuck is going on? Oh, no idea. Uh, and Chris, we did put the ball in the net twice, though, didn't we, local lads? Sean Longstaff and Dan Byrne, both on the score sheet. Nice to see Dan Byrne score. It really meant something to him, didn't it, that goal? Uh, and Sean Longstaff as well, a tidy finish with his left foot. A screamer, he called it. Two-yard screamer from Dan S- Byrne, yeah. Screamer. <laughs> they actually put the ball in the net three times. And actually, when Jacob Murphy didn't put the ball in the net very early on in the match, I heard I heard John Anderson shouting in my ear from last year, from a couple of years ago. Oh, just put it in the no. net. When he was pa- the one of the weirdest things I've ever seen when he was just passed the ball inside the that was weird, Fulham box. When it was really really odd, it was a bad pass back to Robinson, who then just flicked it onto Murphy, who almost just didn't. I wasn't think ready he was just for it, so was he? shocked, but yeah, he was just so shocked. He just put it straight at the goalkeeper, but. The first goal, I mean, was controversial, and Marco Silva uh, wasn't particularly was it happy with it afterwards. Was it? Well, it was. It, Did they, it, they made it controversial? I don't, there was no controversy about it whatsoever. The ball definitely hit Bruno Gimaraes' arm, yeah. but the problem is that it, 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 a he's not the goal scorer, and because he's not the goal scorer, they've changed the rule to make it so that it doesn't necessarily get checked in that sense, and also it clearly wasn't deliberate. So basically, the ball's put back in from the left hand side. I think it's Lewis Miley gets a flick on it, and then the ball is in the Fulham box, sort of flicks up off Miley, hits Bruno Gimaraes' arm and then drops to Sean Longstaff, who very instinctively, first time left foot, volleys it, half volleys it into the bottom right-hand corner. Really, really good finish yeah. just just to be able to do that and very, very good technique. But yeah, the ball actually did hit Bruno Gimaraes' arm, but it had been awarded on the field and then VAR checked it and, and it was 
it was rightly awarded because it wasn't a deliberate handball and it wasn't the goal scorer who scored it. I also I also can understand. I mean, there's a lot of frustration, I think, at the moment with the handball laws. And you get this with a lot of basically a lot of professionals and current managers. And we've had this already how the season is basically they don't understand what the actual handball law is. Because if you reverse that and it's actually a defender whose arm it hits and then Newcastle don't score would a penalty be given and I think there's a reasonable chance that a penalty may have been given so I understand why there is frustration with it I don't think the goal should be disallowed but I think there's too much equivocation currently with the off- uh, with the handball law which is part of the problem Our local lads love the Cups and um, you can see how important it is to them you could see the same thing last season in the League Cup and I thought that both Dan and Sean I think by the time the game that game ends both of them had been absolutely pivotal to that yeah, match definitely. Um, in far more regards than just goal scoring I thought Dan was excellent actually I thought he had a really good game he came out with man of the match as well didn't he based on the uh, the TV uh, commentary um, he, I thought he was great he's, he, we, we've spoke about this in the past he, he has limitations doesn't he Dan he's not the quickest uh, he's not the most mobile but he finds ways to stop wingers and to stop midfielders from doing what, they, what they're trying to do he just I imagine he'd been a really annoying footballer to play against he just he seems to get it, doesn't he? Yeah, we talked about this a load last season in particular. But I think there was a bit of it again against Fulham that Newcastle are able to sort of find solutions on the pitch when they do it. It's great to see. It was like in the first sort of five, ten minutes, um, Fulham were attacking towards towards uh, the away end and it was like, oh, I think we're in trouble. To, you know, it's like, I think we're in trouble today. And then by the end of the game, you're actually thinking, no, the defence had did have control of that. And, uh, you know, Dan, not just uh, his physicality and height, which I think were very important in that match, but the way that he, he is able to get the better of his man it was apparent again. The team work out how to how to solve those problems when they're at the best, and they definitely did that at Fulham. In recent months, I don't, and I know it's, I know he's been injured, but I don't actually think we've made enough of a point about the uniqueness of Dan Byrne at left back for Newcastle United. The uniqueness of Dan Byrne as a left back relative to every single other left back in the world. Yeah, there is no yeah. other left back in the world who is six, who is six foot seven, who is that yeah. tall and. And it, it brings both... There, there are limitations to what you can do with that in terms of he isn't Kieran Trippier on the other side. He isn't the sort of attacking creative force that that maybe you, you're getting on the other side. But what he does bring is is that height, that physicality, that leadership, the understanding of of, of what is required in those situations, um, the desire to, to get Newcastle through those matches. And I thought that he did really grow into the game when Newcastle needed leadership, even when they were struggling without the ball. Uh, with the ball, sorry, I thought that he was someone who who really took charge of that. And then, I mean, it's finished. It's it just the fact that he actually gets in the position to to put that chance away. It looks he could just say, "Oh, the ball just just it just happened to to come to him because the keeper made that made the parry." But actually, he gets in the position to be yeah, there, he and he in. said he's, he said in an interview on NUFCT afterwards that actually he's been practicing doing. It. He's trying to get in more. He should score more goals, and he knows he should score more goals because of his height. And he's trying to get in those positions, and he has scored quite a few important goals recently. He scored against Fulham at St James, I think, as well, didn't he? That's right, yeah, yeah. From about similar sort of position. He's chasing down Shearer, he says now, didn't he? So he's <laughs> yeah. not. He's he's well on his way. Well on his way. Statue. Four for the season so far for Dan. Yeah. That's, that's a good. That's a good return for for a centre back. Um, but also though, just and you know we've mentioned this before, but it is worth repeating when when Chris is sort of talking about his uniqueness as a left back. We should also remember his qualities as a human being, someone who came back weeks early as he put it in his own words, from a fucking broken back or, you know, broken bones in his back. And so 
you know, if people have been judging his performances in recent weeks unkindly, we do have to remember that this is a bloke who's literally put his body on the line to come back and be part of the 100%. team to help out at a time when they've had awful injuries. And he deserves everything he gets. He's a he's a fantastic human being and he's a great player who's been so important to this team. And yeah, great to get him great to see him get that get that award at the weekend. Absolutely. I will defend him with my last breath. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Marco Silva, Chris, he was a bit salty, wasn't he? Um, said Fulham were the better team, but in truth, they didn't really have any great threat, especially in that last half hour. Uh, and then the away end got the old songbook out, didn't they? Well, yeah, I mean, Marco Silva can feel that way, and I can see what he means to a certain degree with the amount of of, of, of ball that Fulham had. But I also think that largely it was without threat. There was the Munez opportunity, and there was a, there was a couple of other half saves for for Dubravka, but there, there was no real end product there. And and again, that's why I compare it to, to the Chelsea game in, in the Carabao Cup. Watching that again, I was watching that one from home and I didn't feel, I mean, obviously what happened happened and it was devastating how Newcastle ended up going to penalties in that match because Kieran Trippier made the mistake. But up to that point, it, it hadn't looked like Chelsea were going to score. And I didn't really feel like Fulham were coming on strong. And certainly once Newcastle took the lead, I think it looked from that point, even though Fulham started the second half relatively well, that again didn't really look like scoring. And so I think it was relatively comfortable in that sense from a defence point of view. By no means was it absolutely stellar Newcastle United performance under Eddie Howe. They've been far better, but at the same time, they've just got to find a way away from home. And if that if that's what they need to do, it was interesting. I was at Eddie Howe's press conference this morning and he was asked about that and he's like, Can't, is is, is is that a template to replicate? And he basically suggested that he thinks it is because he said that Newcastle kept a clean sheet, which he did a lot of the time last season. Their road periods of the match where they where they weren't on top and they their attackers then took their opportunities. And that's basically how you have to win away from home in the Premier League on a regular basis. Yeah. It's not very often that teams have very good away records. Newcastle did last season, but... but Newcastle's away record this season in the Premier League is appalling and they need to, if it means that they just have to grind out some results for now while they find and, and get more into form, that's exactly what they need to do. So if they went to Villa Park and managed to get a positive result playing like they did on Saturday, I think a lot of people, a lot of fans would, would accept that. I, I think it'd be far more difficult to do that at Villa Park because Villa are a far better team and have a far better home record. But that, that there are going to be periods, if Newcastle are going to get a positive result at Villa Park, there are going to be periods where Villa are going to be on top and they're going to have to ride that and make yeah. sure they get through it like they did on Saturday. But we've also seen week in, week out that Newcastle just can't do what they did last season, which is to try and swarm over teams, which is to try and you know press them absolutely as high as they can to swarm all over them. They can't do that. That's a 60-minute tactic. It's a 70-minute tactic. And then you bring on fresh legs and Newcastle don't have fresh legs. 
I totally agree with Chris. They, I mean, they have to find a different way of playing, particularly away from home, where they don't have the momentum and noise and power of the crowd behind them to, to sort of push them on. You can't just relentlessly run and press for 90 minutes away from home if you've not got the personnel for it. Yeah. On Silver, I'm not sure that he was salty. I mean, he was he was annoyed about the handball and then didn't sort of elaborate on it. But he also, I mean, he said that they deserved more, but they lost and it's our fault. And I think that's I think that's probably fair enough. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, their defending wasn't great for, the, for both goals. And at the same time, they had a load of possession. And as Chris said, they basically sort of did nothing with it. And I think as the game went on, Newcastle settled into that sort of understanding that actually Fulham having the ball wasn't the worst thing in the world because um, they weren't going to get punished. Yes, uh, and I mentioned uh, before as well there, the fans singing some of the old songs. Uh, even the Fabrizio Colaccini uh, curly hair song got a mention at one point, which is great to see. Uh, and it was all partly inspired by a familiar face and the crowd, wasn't it, George? Yes. So I got a message on the morning <laughs> from AFW, a.k.a. Alan from work, a.k.a. the Lion of Gosforth, a.k.a. Alan Shearer, the greatest centre-forward in the history of Newcastle United and indeed the world, and um, said that he was going in the, in the away end for the first time since 1985. I was in the away end as well. I was a bit gutted where I was because I was like right on the far left looking at the pitch and I had a few empty seats around me. And bizarrely, I was sort of, well, I was next to the tunnel and then I was next to Fulham fans, except the people directly opposite me were actually West Ham fans who'd snuck in. Oh my God. And were pre- pretending to be Fulham fans. And so there, there was this then sort of, sort of weird and unnecessary sort of baiting between West Ham Fulham fans and Newcastle fans, which was a bit sort of p- peculiar. So I felt a bit left out. But then, yeah, when, when Shearer's presence uh, <laughs> became obvious to everybody around him, uh, it was just great, yeah. And Newcastle needed a, they needed a game like this. They needed the clean sheet. They needed to go away from home to win. They needed to get into the fifth round. They needed a bit of respite after, you know, defeats in the Premier League. And they just needed to have a bit of a laugh. And by the end of the afternoon, with Shearer right in the thick of it, they definitely had that. And, um, yeah, so it was his first time in the win. He reckoned since 1985 when he wow. was about 15. And um, he loved it. amazing hey <laughs> I'm a lucky charm I'll have to go again my guy this guy's lasted about three seconds um bloody hell that was fucking amazing the atmosphere is electric I might have to do that again <laughs> look forward to the draw tomorrow hope we had a good time good as we did see you later
go, oh, that's brilliant, that. Absolutely fantastic. Sounds like you had a whale of a time and also a lucky charm as well, George. Yeah, I mean, bearing in mind he got to finals and lost as a player. Can we really... Can we really claim that? I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, but he he loved it, and I think mm. I think he was just. I mean, having not done it for so long, I've had this. I've had the same thing since I've been doing it. Really, since I've been at the Athletic, uh, the first one that I did was the Everton, the Goodison Park, the two all the uh, the late two goals from yes. Florian Lejeune, and I wrote about that, and I was just like blown away by the whole by the whole sort of experience. I think he had a bit of that. And he talked about, yeah, just the whole thing. I've written about, partially written about that in the um, from the game. So I have a look at The Athletic. And he talked about, you know, like the smell of beer, yeah. the chaos, the madness of it, just the singing and the banter and the laughing and the joking. And it is, it's just like nothing else. The game is sort of irrelevant on those days when the away end is bouncing and you're going, going through all the old songs like that. And yeah, as I said, I think as a team, as a club, Newcastle needed that. They needed to be able to take a breath and have a bit of fun. I saw somebody on Twitter questioning how many loyalty points he had. And as far as I'm concerned, the man has got 206 loyalty points and he can go to any away game he so pleases. Uh, He can do what he wants. He told us that his favourite bit was that there was a fella in front of him, 77-year-old fella in front of him, who basically not missed a game for 40 years, and he had 300 loyalty points, whatever that means, Alan said. So he uh, he didn't know about that. But he was there He was there with Chloe and Will. Will's, Will follows the team, his son, and... Um, yeah, well, let's not get sidetracked by the by um, that nonsense. Yeah, by the loyalty uh, point police. But he had a he had a disguise apparently, Chris, for the first couple of minutes, and it lasted about three minutes, and then everyone realised who it was. Darth Shearer, yeah, it was. Um... <laughs> that's the one. I've seen the picture of him with his hood up and his scarf pulled up over his face. Oh, that's not going to work, is it? Yeah, not in the Newcastle United away end. You might just about get away with it elsewhere, but also Premier League all-time record goal scorer. I think, yeah, it's unlikely that you're going to get away with it any any Premier League ground, really. Yes, absolutely right. Moving on, Newcastle and Eddie Howe have defied their woeful FA Cup records. Goals from Longstaff and Byrne, a decent fifth-round draw. Are we starting to get a little bit excited about this, Chris? So that fifth-round draw, I mean... By the time this goes out, we may be closer to knowing who that is going to be because Blackburn host Wrexham in the Monday night kickoff. That could obviously go to replay, but if it doesn't, if there's a result tonight, that's Monday night, uh, then Newcastle will face either of those two away from home. It's either going to be the Alan Shearer derby at Blackburn or it will be Newcastle travelling to FC Hollywood, essentially, in, in, in Wrexham and being part of their documentary going forward. But it's not the home tie that Eddie Howe wanted but at the same time it is lower league opposition regardless of which of the two Newcastle face and you have to say given the strength of the teams who are still in the draw that is a pretty kind one and an opportunity for Newcastle to get to the quarter final again uh, which they did last time under Steve Bruce and then sort of surrendered to Man City yes uh, that was during Covid if I remember correctly um, and they haven't been to that stage uh, apart from that I think since 2005 I want to say yeah, 2005 2006 yeah. maybe when they beat Chelsea at St. James's Park, was that right, without quarterfinals at the fifth round? Anyway. 2006, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. It is a huge opportunity for them. And really, I think what the reason Saturday was so important was, uh, people have said that it keeps the season alive. I don't think it so much keeps the season alive. What I think it does, because there was still, and Eddie Howe was adamant on this this morning, that Newcastle have so much more to play for. And he obviously would say that. But I think what it actually did was it gives real meaning and hope still to the season, that it isn't just about scrambling to be wherever it may be that they'll finish in the Premier League. The top four looks very, very difficult from the position they're in. They could still get European football. But to have something material to still cling on to, that belief that they can still go 
go deep in this competition they can potentially go back to Wembley if you get the semi-final remember that's another trip to Wembley regardless of whether you get the, the beyond course, that yeah. to the final so I think that that is what Newcastle really needed they'd gone out of the Champions League and Carabao Cup in quick succession the Premier League has gone a bit sour over the course of the last six, six weeks but to be able to believe that they have a real opportunity to go deep in the FA Cup I think that gives this se- the season real meaning going on I never enjoyed Carabao either and it was <laughs> shit drink and it's a terrible choice it's a terrible other, en- other energy cup, drinks are who wants to win that it's Tim Pot it's always been the FA Cup yeah same. it's always been the FA Cup for me I mean, we have to get excited about, as I said at the start, I have to get excited about winning any game in this competition. I mean, when I was a little kid, third round day was the day you look forward to. And that was absolutely sort of crushed out of me in the last 15, 20 years. You know, it's just, it was the worst, it became the worst day of the season and it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. You knew that Newcastle would be terrible and you knew that they would lose and that they would go out, more or less. And it happened and... It was, it was, I dreaded it. I dreaded it and because I dreaded the way it made me feel. Now, last season, we had that first taste of Newcastle getting into, what, January, February, and there still being a trophy to play for. And suddenly, you had tension around the team that was to do with something other than avoiding relegation. I mean, obviously, there was the top four still to, to play for as well, the league position still to play for. But, you know, those games against Southampton, it's like, oh my God, I've got this like feeling of sort of sickness <laughs> yeah, and adrenaline amazing. and it's about something good. So I totally agree with Chris. Um, you know, we're not we're not at that stage yet in the FA Cup, but by the time the fifth round actually comes along, then yeah, Newcastle have got a great chance to progress. And the idea of them doing well in in cups now is not ridiculous it's not a joke you know it's that to 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 still be in a competition at this stage isn't a fluke it's what the whole club is built around doing now so yeah i'm i'm excited about it fa cup is is just a brilliant day I am, except the weird thing that the fifth round this season, because of the, I think this has been to do with the negotiations with the, the EFL and to try and to oh, yeah. condense a fixture list or whatever, stop games. Is mid-week, The yeah. fifth round is midweek. Wednesday, the 28th of February, round about then, is when Newcastle are going to play this game. So, that, I mean, that's weird in itself that obviously FA Cup usually is a weekend ma- uh, matches. I mean, there's, they've changed it over the last few years with TV, so there's usually games on a Thursday, Friday and Monday as well. But that's a little bit odd. But that, hopefully that doesn't take the gloss away from it too much. But it does feel a bit League Cuppy. League Cuppy. Thanks for that, Chris. Uh, that's uh, journalist and writer Chris Wolf there saying the words League Cuppy. We've had a taste and we want a bit more, don't we, chaps? Uh, right, then sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Pay just one ninety nine a month for your first 12 months. We'll be back just after this break. Right then, so to the uh, the lasses, George Cork and FAWNL Cup quarter final win for them at AFC filed a good result. Yeah, it was a it was a massive result. I mean, the the bigger picture is that they'd lost two matches in a row, which um, you know, which simply doesn't happen to to Newcastle. So it was very important they got a result. They actually went a goal down in the game as well, and so to come back from that, it's a good it's a good test for them. It's a good challenge. They're in the semi final of the League Cup. Um, I think the draw is made later on Monday, so we don't know who they'll play next in the semis, but it could be Halifax, hashtag United, Pompey. Um, so we'll see who they get. But yeah, it's um, 
a really important response. They've we, we talked last week about them being able to do that in the past when they've had a challenging result, and and they did. So yeah, great result for them. Yeah, so it wasn't quite the 11-3 uh, that we managed against them earlier in the season, Chris, but it was a real morale booster, wasn't it? Two goals each for Georgia Gibson and Tyler Dodds as well. Yeah, I mean, that was quite the remarkable result at the time, but I think to compare to now, it's it's slightly harsh to try and to dumb down the, the, the result that they actually had at the weekend to respond to those back-to-back defeats. Uh, the deflation maybe of losing in, in the league the week before, I think that's huge, and to have recovered in that fashion should be real positive for them and hopefully they can take that back into the league where they obviously are chasing title and promotion and hopefully they can get back on track there. And Forrest uh, won at home against Burnley in the league as well, George, didn't they? Which means the title race is back in Geordie hands, isn't it? Yeah, so that was massive. So to recap, it was Forrest that beat Newcastle in their previous league match in the last minute. It was devastating. I was there for that really, really sort of disappointing end to the game. Forest have now overtaken Burnley. Now Burnley, who were in second, have a game in hand over Newcastle and still do. But if they win that game, they'd be two points behind. Um, so it's, I mean, it's constantinering up at the top of the division, it and it's close, and you don't take anything for granted. But that that would have been, I think, that would have been the result that Newcastle would have would have wanted. They're they're four points clear of Forest, and. You know they've got a massive game at this weekend against against Wolves, who are also decent this season. They're in fifth in the table, but it's back in their hands. So they've had a pretty pretty good weekend, all things considered. And there's another huge game coming up just after that as well, isn't there? The weekend after next uh, against Burnley, but they can maintain that renewed momentum, can't they, by beating Wolves at Kingston Park? Yeah, it's a huge it's a huge match for them. I mean, they they would not want to have lost in front of their fans. Certainly not with the way they played in the awful conditions and in the way they they lost the game, having gone ahead early on and then um, shipping that last minute goal. Yeah, horrible. So they want to kind of get back to winning ways at home. But you've got every confidence they would do it. It was important, really important, that they uh, made a statement after those two defeats and they've done that now. So yeah, fingers crossed for Wolves at the weekend. I shall be there for that and looking forward to it. Good stuff. Right then, moving on. Uh, Just a a little break and we'll be back to have a quick chat about Villa uh, before we wrap things up. And I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. So we're very much entering the sharp end of the transfer window, aren't we, Chris? And you've been to Eddie Howe's uh, pre-match presser this morning. Eddie denied the link to Jacob Ramsey, which was reported by David Ornstein on Monday morning. Uh, but here's what he said about the transfer situation. Nothing's changed. It's copy and paste from uh, after the game, before the game against Fulham. And, yeah, I've got no fresh news to give you we are waiting to see what happens I don't want to talk about individual player names I don't think that's right um, yeah so that's what I say um, yeah I think it's a, a, a complex situation so I don't think anything's clear cut all eventualities could happen uh, probably what we won't do is uh, bring a player in without losing one the other way I think that would be impossible but I think all other options um could still happen. Here's Chris smashing away on his uh, laptop in the background there, couldn't you? <laughs> the thing about Eddie Howe's press conference this morning is, and I I say this with the greatest affection for him, I thought it was pretty disingenuous in many ways, as he can be with injuries, but I thought that, and, and I can understand why he is being like that, but I, I think that there is, 
he's trying to make out as if he's, I think, slightly further removed. He isn't. He'd said after the Fulham game on Saturday that he isn't in hourly contact with what's going on, and he isn't. He isn't the one who's at the front of transfer deals, but he also knows what is going on. I think because there are so many plates spinning for want of a better term and because there are so many moving parts which need to happen in and out for anything to happen substantive at Newcastle I think at the moment he's trying to play down everything and he doesn't want to go too strong on anything because a lot could happen or absolutely nothing could happen and that's basically been the stage for the last 10 days and with Miguel Almiron for example Newcastle have sort of been waiting for this bid to arrive I don't think I actually asked how specifically have you had beyond the Kieran Trippier bids from Bayern Munich have you had any official offers for your players to which he said with no I I don't think we do is we have is his response and basically what he's saying there is that's the situation with the Saudi Arabian interest and and Al-Shabaab interest in uh, Miguel Almiron there have been talks over the course of the last 10 days but they're still waiting for that actual offer to come in and if it comes in then that means that things could in theory happen but at this stage that hasn't happened yet and he's still speaking about hoping that Miguel Almiron will have recovered from his illness which kept him out of the game at the weekend and which will mean he's then going down to Villa Park tomorrow night that's the sort of situation that we're in there when with regards to Jacob Ramsey now our understanding is he is a player in Newcastle like a lot and there has been at least some sort of discussion somewhere now he was asked specifically has there been an approach for Jacob Ramsey and and he basically said no that's not that's not correct now I think that may come down to semantics and, and you can argue you get this quite a lot in transfer windows what's an approach what's an inquiry all these sorts of things and I think that that's where that one has come down to there's definite interest there whether it seems like it'll be a very difficult deal to do financially he's even playing for Villa a lot at the minute he's well liked across Europe so exactly what happens there I'm not entirely sure yeah. but it, that shows the level of player Newcastle would ideally like to bring in if they can this month and all those moving parts where probably Elmer would have to go for someone to come in and at this stage nothing is concrete obviously that could have changed by the time this podcast goes out but right as we stand 11.58am yeah. on Monday morning that's the case yes I mean so in terms of Eddie Howe sort of not being disingenuous or, or taking him at his word what he said there is that anything could happen apart from Newcastle bringing in a player without someone leaving. So you can then so what does that actually mean? So it means they can't just bring in a player, they're not going to sign somebody with nobody nobody leaving. The only other alternatives are that happening that somebody leaves and then someone arrives or someone just leaves. Yeah. So those are the sorts of options that seem to be seem to be there and at the moment the way it feels you know, apart from people who were sort of right on the fringes, Almiron feels like the only one that there's anything massively definitive on the cards. I mean, again, that that can come back to bite you, but that's certainly how it feels. And this interest from Al-Shabaab in Saudi Arabia, we're expecting that to crystallise at some point, but it has to happen pretty much now because the transfer window in Saudi Arabia ends earlier. The thing with Jacob Ramsey, as Chris said, this would be a big deal. It's not something that would tend to be done on the back of an envelope and, th- and sent through quickly. Yeah. So, yeah. I, Eddie Howe used the word unsettling last week about this window, and it definitely has. It's just sort of lingered on. It's felt very unsatisfactory. You know, there's been all the stuff about Newcastle needing to le- lose players for money for the FFP, PSR, and I'll be happy when it's closed absolutely Eddie Howe Chris seems to me like an absolute master of seeing an awful lot without actually seeing anything at all he seems very good at that yeah he is and I mean I've sounded pretty blunt and harsh in what I've responded to there but I actually think he's in a very difficult position because ID I mean he's almost had to 
tailor what he said over the course of the last few weeks because he hasn't been able to go. You expect, and this used to happen with Rafa Benitez, for example, and it's clear that Eddie Howe wants reinforcements. He believes that Newcastle need reinforcements. And when that's happened in the past, for example, with Rafa Benitez, it would get to a point where he would then pick the nuclear option and there'd be he'd have said nothing in a press conference for weeks and then suddenly he explodes and there's almost criticism of the board, criticism of direction, definitely need players. Howe realises the difficult situation Newcastle have PSR-wise and how much the club have supported him and in the transfer market and how much they've put into it and it's not for lack of wanting to do business it's that physically they can't if they want to stay within those PSR restrictions and so he's in a difficult position because he's almost had to then roll back a little bit on sort of what he said a few weeks ago which was basically I, I need players we need yeah. support he needs midfielders he even spoke again today he was talking about Lewis Miley and he was saying I'm playing him more than I want to he shouldn't be as a 17 year old he shouldn't be playing every single week but I've only got three fit senior midfielders and I think the Joe Linton situation I think it was coming before Joe Linton was injured I think he was almost coming round to the idea that right we'll probably get through this window without signing one that isn't ideal but we'll get through at the end of the window but the Joe Linton situation just basically confirmed to him that we need someone ideally but basically to do that as he's now confirmed which he didn't quite say on Friday but he has now said on Monday is we basically need to lose someone to bring someone in and that may mean yeah. that they're left slightly short up front he must, have, no, he must have known that for a while though he must have known that that was the case well he's been told that I think for a while but I think they've also been trying to work out is there any way we can do something yeah. different and also I think he's looked at it as well as well if we say for example we lose a player be that Miguel Almiron or someone else does that mean we can actually does that free up enough funds to be able to bring in two players because possibly that would be the case but I just don't think the market is fluid enough for Newcastle to be able to do that certainly now it's going to be maximum one in one out I'd say I might I might have egg on my face in a positive sense come Thursday and hopefully Newcastle have signed more than one player but I think that speaking right now I'll be shocked if there's more than one in one out in Newcastle at a senior level now. Reading between the lines, though, George, it seems that Miggy Almiron might make that filler squad, but possibly not Jamal Lascelles. Yeah, with J- Jamal, obviously, he missed the, the Fulham game as well with a slight calf injury, and it sounds like he's unlikely to make it. Uh, George, to I'm just going to jump in there. I'm to, sorry to interrupt you, but we have got pod on the time breaking news. This might be the first time this has ever happened to the show where something has been announced while we are recording, and that is that Lewis Miley has agreed a new contract. Uh Amazing stuff. He's he's came into the team this year. He's shown he's been a really valuable member of that first team and he's been rewarded with a new deal. It's, it's fantastic news for him and it's great for Newcastle as well, isn't it? That's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely fully deserved and um yeah, he's been he's been he's been sensational since he's come into the team. We always kind of joke and laugh about his age because you you can't sort of reference how well he does without you know without mentioning it. It, it feels, but yeah. he slotted into the team and doesn't look out of place. In recent weeks, it would have been nice for him to be able to come in and come out and you know get a bit of freshness to his legs. But he's he's been sensational, and yeah, this is absolutely uh, fully deserved. He's he's already played I think eighteen competitive fixtures for the team. Came at the Champions League, played there, and um, yeah, absolutely fully, fully deserved for him, and it's great. That's really great news. Uh, Villa, let's go back to Villa, Chris. Uh, last season's trip to Villa Park was one of the very few chasing experiences in an otherwise stellar campaign, wasn't it? Uh, they'll be keen to set the record straight after the season opener at St James's Park as well. You'd imagine Villa will be gunning for Newcastle. Yeah, let me just take you back to that match on the opening day of the season. Do you remember who scored the opening goal um, of that game? Was it a young Italian man called Sandro Tonali? 
It was indeed. You know who scored the last goal in that game? It was a young British lad called Harvey Barnes. Yes, and then Callum Wilson scored as well, laid on by Harvey Barnes. That he was the he was the fourth goal scorer, and neither of those three seemingly are going to feature uh, at Villa. Do you Park remember something else as well after that after that game when Sir Alex Ferguson had been interviewed <laughs> yes. that weekend? And he was asked who'd impressed him most, and he he talked about Aston Villa, and sort of everyone said, "What? What the hell's he going on? They've just been smashed five one by <laughs> Newcastle," and he. He looks pretty smart now, he does. doesn't he? But I, I, I think if you actually go back to that game, I'm pretty sure I said it at the time, you could see that Villa were going to become a decent team, that they were going to have a, a decent season. But it was like that. It was the game where where sort of everything came together for Newcastle. They swarmed and were brilliant. It was that sort of blueprint, sort of how we felt things were, you know, how things were going to go for the rest of the season. They were able to to take off angry players, bring on angry players, and they were and they were great. But... Yeah, it hasn't turned out like that, has it, really? No, not exactly. Uh, right then, here we go. A little bit of trivia to finish off. We all know how much you love trivia, George. Oh, uh, according to our producer's amateurish notes, uh, Dan Byrne is now the eighth Newcastle player to have scored for the club in the League Cup, FA Cup, Premier League and Champions League. Can you name God. the other seven? Sure, I'm Yobi. Say again, sorry? Sure, I'm Yobi, Alan Shearer. Sure, I'm Yobi, Alan Shearer. Well, Alexander Isak definitely did because he scored against Sunderland, and I think that got. Yeah, he did all. all them, he's done all of them this season, so he must be. Sean Longstaff. Sean Longstaff. Yes. Um, any more? Any more for any more? So hang on. So Alan Shawler, Longstaff, Isak from this current team. Dan Burn. Chris, what was that? Nobby Solano. So yeah, Nobby Solano go- was one. Gary Speed. Incorrect. Rob Lee. Incorrect. Surprising to me how many of these are from the current team. Bellamy? Um, uh, no. That's it. There's someone else in the current that's team. That's it from the current team, isn't it? Miggy Almiron. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And one more. From the current team? Yes. I can't think who plays for the current Fabian team. Fabian Cher? Wilson. He... <laughs> Callum Wilson? Nope. No, he didn't nope. score. He's not scored in the Champions League. Um, who else I mean, plays? There's not many of them left, there? is there? At the minute, <laughs> no, I just Joel Linton. Joel Linton. Joel Linton. There we go. Hang on, say uh, that again. Say that again, Chris. It. Who? Joel Linton. Joel Linton. George. Who was it? Joe. Joel Linton. Joel Linton. Have a nice go. Joe. Joe. Joe Linton. Linton. Joseph Robert Linton from Cramling. Yeah, we got yeah, that at the excellent. same time. I did all right there. Yeah, you didn't do too badly. Well done. There we go. Uh, right then, that's it. Uh, get yourselves in touch at Pod on the Tyne on Twitter or X. Email us at Pod on the Tyne at theathletic.com. Uh, we'll be back on Friday. We're going to let the transfer window slam shut first uh, to save ourselves looking foolish. <laughs> Doesn't normally work that, does it? More foolish. Yeah, more exactly, more foolish, I think. That I should all say. right. Thanks. Thanks very much. Chris, thanks for your time. Uh, you're very welcome. Yes, um, I just want to to wish George a fond trip down to Villa Park. Yes, uh, well, actually, what I do want to say about that is not just about George's. What I want to say is eight fifteen kickoff, which to follow on from the seven pm kickoff at the weekend, Bullshit, huh? is absolutely ludicrous, yeah. and that Newcastle fans have to go through that again is just absolutely ludicrous. Yes, well, I'd on on that note, I'd just to return to the start of the show. You've reminded me of that. I'd just like to wish Chris all the very best and health and happiness to him and. Everyone who knows him. Yes, love to the Wolves. I hope they're all. I uh, hope they're all well, Chris. Best of luck to you. Uh, right then, that's it, chaps. Thank you very much for your time, and thank you all for listening as well. This has been Pod on the Tyne from everybody here. Have a good week. Goodbye. Oh, that was quite menacing, that wasn't it? Sorry.
It was like, you know, them newsreaders at the end where they go, don't have nightmares. And <laughs> a crime watch. A <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's it. Crimes against podcasting. The Athletic. <laughs>